there's always this vision that we were just sitting in our cells all the time. Honestly, a lot of time is spent going to jobs, going to work, and then also like, I couldn't write when it was around mealtime, especially like on a holiday, like a holiday meal, you have to go out to the day room to, so you can go to go to chow. They'll call you out at like 9 a.m. and you may not go out, go to eat until noon, but you can't go back to your cell and grab your, my, like I can't go back and grab my writing material and sit down. Not that there's gonna be any place to sit down because the day room is gonna be full of everyone wanting to go to lunch. It uh, happens every day. I was gonna say whenever you first mentioned that whole thing about you, you everybody thinks we sit, we're sitting around our cells all day. I, I, I actually at one point, uh, and funny enough, it was during a period of time whenever I was trying to get a comic book done, I was trying to draw one, and I was just noticing how little time I had to do so. And I was wondering where all the time went during the day. I, I was on the Darrington unit at the time. And so I decided I was going to, you know, make an effort of, of, of calculate, you know, sitting really watching the, watching my watch and paying attention to exactly how much time is spent doing what. And you'd be shocked at how much time you actually spend just sitting in staging areas, waiting on them to let you go to some, to an everyday scheduled necessity event like showers or child showers or child mainly also things like rec library uh and even jobs even even you know a lot of the main jobs that they have in prisons like like the kitchen or the laundry they stage them in day rooms or, or other areas that have them wait so that it would convenience the officer whenever the officer comes to pick them up or or whenever it's time for them to go they can conveniently get them all out you know but of course it's a huge inconvenience to the inmates who have to twiddling their thumbs for 30 minutes, 15 minutes. You can stand at a door for five minutes and, you know, very easily. Not, not, not to mention just how many how many times have you been stuck somewhere during count? Yeah, we get stuck so many times during count. Like for maintenance, there are many times where the maintenance boss, we don't know if the maintenance boss is going to show up at six or if he's going to show up after count at nine. We don't know that. But they're always going to call us out at six and they're going to have us sit in the day room until that boss comes and picks us up. And sometimes something might happen at the shop. Like sometimes the whole shop will go on shakedown. We won't hear until lunch that that we're not going to work that day. So we're just sitting out there just to hear that we're not going to work until after lunch. And that's the only time we'll know. So so basically half the day is already gone. And we've just been sitting there that that entire time. Yeah, they do the exact same thing with all of the major jobs that they have in prison. All of the the jobs that em, that employ the majority of the inmates are, are like that. Think about the fields. The fields are woken up before the sun comes up in the morning. They're expected to be completely ready by that point. And then they have them sit in the day room where they sit and wait for who knows how long. And it could be that the, that, that they're not going to go out at all. And they don't know it. They they have them to go. They have them come out anyways and stay there, and just sit in the day room until the until the decision is made. Even whenever they are called out, they're called out. Where do they go? They go to the back dock and stand on the back dock for uh, an hour, hour and a half. No, that's and true. My point of, of 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 the endless staging and wasted time in prison. We're really we're, you're really getting off the subject, man. You've gotten way off the subject. I'm trying to. I'm really trying to drag this back to comic books. No, I think so it, I, I, I wanted to ask. Hold on, I wanted to ask you something, Rainy. Okay. 
So uh, when, when you finished, from the time you finished writing this story to the time that you actually uh, started drawing comics, how, how much time would, had passed in between that between that time? Years. I had started writing this story. It had probably, it, it might have been, it was either 2016 or 2017 as when I had started. And then I started actually drawing. You were the one who kind of pushed me into actually drawing it. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, let's tell that story then. Yes. So, so at what point did you, so at what point did the whole decision to start drawing hit you? Where did that bug, where did that bug bite you? That bug is always Not been on there. your body. Right. No, no, no. The the bug to draw comics has honestly has been there since I was a kid. I've drawn, I drew on everything when I was a kid. I loved, I loved drawing. I loved, that's how I liked telling stories was through comics. And I, all, a lot of my stories, I had actually been, actually one of the first things I was writing in prison was a book that I always saw as a comic. And I wanted to see that, see that as a, as a comic. And I was always seeing it in visualized it as a comic book but was writing it as a as a book book but i just didn't think i could could do it i never saw it going there then we started talking about then we started talking about comics all the time and you and me yes you, you and, and me. I? yes yeah when i got when i i so i got shipped i was at dalhart and then i got shipped to ramsey and then i then uh, i joined the jewish program and that's where we met at Stringfellow. Uh, so I went from Dal, Dalhart is in the panhandle and then Ramsey is in Houston. So I went across the state 16 hours, odd hours, whatever, something like that. Something crazy and went to Ramsey for a bit and then, and then came over to Stringfellow and we met and we were talking comics. We were talking comics first and then eventually I told you about the, the Green Lantern story I was writing. Right, which you let me read, and I was blown away by it. it uh, I read comic books, and, and personally, not a big fan of the Green Lantern stories, although I don't have any problem with the, any of the characters. I'm not one of these guys that just gets a thing where he doesn't like a character. I just have to admit that I've never read a what I thought was a truly inspired version of any of the Green Lantern characters. And so I was Kind of nonplussed at first whenever you told me that you're that this is a story about Kyle Rayner because even though I'm not a really a big Green Lantern fan in general, I'm still a fan of of the classics. And so I was I'm one of these guys that feels like Green Lantern is Hal Jordan and all the rest of them are just something else. But you you changed my mind about all that and show and. and you clearly wrote not only the best Kyle Rayner story that was ever written, but you. You've written the best Green Lantern story that's ever been written, in my opinion. In my opinion, as a lifetime comic book reader. Well, well, thank you. That was, and that was, and actually, I hadn't written it at that point. You actually, that's you pushed me to finish it. As I was going through finishing it, that's when the whole storyboarding. I started storyboarding in stick figures to try and draw out my ideas. And then we started talking about more comic book ideas, about about potentially doing more ideas and what would be good ideas. And one thing that kept on coming up a lot was coming up with my own characters and coming up with uh, so that I wouldn't have to rely on Marvel and DC for you know to make good stories. And and I and I could only and I could you know use my own. 
And at first I was definitely not sold on that idea. I really just wanted to write Kyle Rayner and Spider-Man and those ones. Cause I thought it was all about the characters. And yeah, I was the same way. I gotta admit, I was bit by that. I, that same idea affected me, but you know, keep on going. I want to hear the, uh, the full circle story here. It's a good story. Yeah. So I basically, so then I started kind of practicing drawing again, start drawing. Just, I had a sketchbook. I had a, actually, I had accumulated over the years. I had like these little sketchbooks I'd started and I did, I actually did this in real life too. I would have sketchbooks that I would start. I draw like a couple things and I give up on. Well, I'd start doing that, but this time, because I was reading, you had a whole bunch of comics I could read. I had a whole bunch of comics I was getting in. So I was reading comics even more now you would also you had put this thing in me of don't focus on the character focus on the people drawing them right it's not or the, or the people writing for them it's not you know planet hulk isn't isn't about how great the hulk is it's about how it's about how jason aaron writes hulk and that's what the story is about you know hulk doesn't buy his nature looks scary it's because mark silvestri can make a scary looking hulk that it's exactly. And, and that is, and once I started paying attention to that, that kind of, that really changed the way I was seeing this. And it was also changed the way I was seeing how to tell the stories. But I like, so I was practicing, I was like, I was seeing different artists. I was like, which ones are my, which ones are, am I really liking? Which ones do I want to replicate? And I was practicing drawing in the styles of other artists, finding my favorite panels from books and drawing them and saving them. From those, I was taking those and combining them and then turning them into my own style, which because I was drawing so much, I was turning into a style that I really liked. And then I wanted to see my own pictures. And then when we started talking about making a new story, I, I started looking at ways to storyboard without words and do it through just simple pictures, which actually was way more fun, way more fun to do and is how I storyboard to this day. At one point, I had agreed to help you with the story with this uh, Green Lantern story. It would not really help you with it, but to, to uh, start drawing this Green Lantern story for you. And immediately, I ran into, it was, as I was reading it, I knew it was going to be a real pain in the ass to do. And I gave you the suggestion of drawing your own, that you need to draw your own comic book. Yes. Just so, as a writer from that point forward, you, re you realize what you're imposing upon artists. Yes, that, that I do remember that you did. You told me that, and that was a huge. That was a huge shift for me too, because I would have panels. There was like one page, and it was, and then this was the page that threw you off. Like I had like every Batman villain on the page in different, in like five fighting. different panels. Yeah, fighting. You had a whole entire ten-page riot going on that had every Batman villain and denizen of Gotham all in. It, it had to be crammed into every panel, it seems. It had to, they had to be cramped. I mean, that was the whole along point. With, <laughs> with, along with Hal Jordan, Cal Rayner's kid, and uh, I don't think Kyle Rayner was there at that point, but uh, maybe his wife was or something. No, Kyle Rayner was there. It was Kyle Rayner, Hal Jordan, and Lainey the Teen Lantern, who, yeah, DC, you can't have that one. I, I created that one, so, yeah. Uh <laughs> But that that's right. Eat your heart out, DC. <laughs> you could have had it. You could have had it, but no. Uh, uh, so there, 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 that yeah. So once once I started drawing my own scenes, I'm like, 
Yeah, you can't have like ten characters in in a you know in one of five panels on a page. That's you're not going to see what's going on. That you're one of those writers that likes to cram twelve panels on every page too. Yes, I am. Who had many pages that you say that had in excess of 10 panels on. With a lot going on in each one of those panels. One th- one big thing I'm going to say that I've noticed too from writing outside versus inside, I was really, so the way I was learning how to write was from at the back of Why the Last Man, Brian K. Vaughn would leave his scripts in. So I was like going off of his scripts. I'm like how he wrote it. And I was kind of like copying how he wrote his scripts. And that's how I was learning how to write for comics. Whereas when now, like I'm writing stuff and I'm actually like, I'll watch videos and see how people actually write them in real time. And they have like, I've learned like five different ways. I'm like, wow, I need to like try some of these out because they've got some cool ways. One of one person actually like he draws, he draws it on like the corner of a page. He zooms in to one corner of the page, makes it the same ratio as the rest of the page, then draws the the panels that a way he wants the simple way that I draw them out. Then when he's ready to actually draw the page, he just takes, selects the the storyboard and then makes it fit to the full size page. And then he can draw in all the detail over top of his storyboard, which is real, I think is really uh, cool. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. And then there's another person who takes, they make a custom canvas and it's this huge, like, I mean, like hundred by hundred canvas. And they just have, they just want it. They do that so that they can see the entire story lay out in front of them, like the entire arc, just lay out all in front of them so they can see the entire thing play out and just zoom in on any point. I've known guys who have done that. I had a a mutual friend of ours whose brother writes comic books. He used to write far off into the future. I mean, he had his stories plotted out years in advance, and he wanted and he papered the walls of his apartment. Like some kind of, like some kind of madman or something like, you know, <laughs> like this panoramic timeline that you know, of his character's story that's going years and years and years beyond where he was right then, where he needed to worry about. Of course, always going to change a thousand times by then. Probably he went. He went to college for writing. Really? He was currently in college to be a writer and was had an internship at Marvel Studios oh, whenever wow. this was going on. We did it in prison with, with, with typing paper and wooden pencil. Yeah, we did. That's the thing. And now there's like, there's an app too that I found too. That's like, it's called endless paper and you can zoom in infinitely and zoom out infinitely. So you can have like, you can draw a picture and then zoom in on the picture and have your entire storyboard inside that image. And then you can zoom in and have another whole storyboard within the corner of that image image and keep on zooming in infinitely to do that and then zoom all the way out and then have the whole comic and then have a whole nother comic on top of that it's pretty damn cool it's it's craziness i don't think i could keep track of that but it is a it's it's pretty cool the other thing that i was going to say is we talked about the time about how much time we wasted in prison and one thing i was really looking forward to was not wasting time out out here i have taken time off to do this podcast to get into the, to making comics and everything. Then also for, for myself to start off with, cause it's been a, it has been a crazy transition from prison to real life to post pandemic as well. But that, that has all been a lot of crazy transitions of, all at once. A lot of change going on all at once, huh? Yes. 
Yes, a lot. It's a lot of things to get oh, used you, to. You have no idea. <laughs> I can I can only imagine with you. <laughs> I can't even imagine when you get a decent phone <laughs> that's up to date, how that's going to change everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how to act then. Right. When I finally step into the, into, into the uh, 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it'll be 2030 by then, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, okay. But Ooh, yeah, we'll really be by then, won't we? Yeah, exactly. But uh, the the thing is, is I, I was talking with some people, and like, I mean, really, since we've been really, we've we've been really pushing hard on getting this comic done. It's been three weeks to get this thing lettered into print, and even though I've been planning and talking about how much time we've been spending on it and all this kind of stuff, like on the lettering, and getting everything done. And I have spent a whole bunch of time on it, but I would, the lettering alone that I did for the comic, there's no way I would have been able to get it done so quickly in prison. That would have been next to impossible. Even if I had an iPad and the software and knew what, even knew what I was doing in advance, there's no way I could have been able to get it done just because of how much time gets wasted uh, sitting in the day room and waiting around for things and shakedowns and you know all those random things because because you don't have you don't have time to do those things i would i wouldn't have had time to get this the work done that book itself is something that i penciled in 30 days the pandemic helped on helped me get that thing done because in some ways i was still dedicated to doing it i I had began before the pandemic but i penciled it in 30 days and then that the then the the inking process is what really was killing me with that one but uh strangely enough i got it we managed to get it done i had to neglect everything else in my life to get it done and focus on that and that alone but nevertheless we did it i don't think i could do it again if i had to (laughs) or what i want to (laughs) we're gonna laugh at this i'm in the middle of doing this podcast with you and Irad has this concert amplifier that he's plugging up in the living room and did you hear that? That low rumble that started in the in the in the middle of your story there? I heard a little bit. He, he's turning, yeah. He, he, he turns this amp on. Man, this thing's the size of a half of a refrigerator. <laughs> I've been trying to give y'all that refrigerator. Y'all won't take it. Y'all keep bringing stuff in here. They'll get it later. Okay. (laughs) All right. Anyway, the point of that story was just that, like, we, like, seriously, in a few weeks, we took that thing, like, we, you had it inked and everything. We got, we got the, we took that, basically, we took it from paper to now it's at the printing press. It's huge. And we if, could, if you really want to get down to it, though, I mean, I could sit there and try to say that, it, that it's one of those things that I, that I pushed through in 30 days. But in all reality, it took me 30 years. Well, yeah. <laughs> in, whole, in, in all out reality, it took me 30 years. If you want to really get down to it, I started in the county jail at the age of 17, wherever I first got locked up. I got I, uh, it, it wasn't that I wasn't drawing already or didn't have didn't know that I had some talent for it. 
sport, but I did not dedicate myself to it. I did not strive toward perfecting it until I was 17, until I, until I was sitting in that county jail. And I, and believe it or not, it was whenever it was, it was right at that point in time in the early 90s. I got locked up in 1991. And my mom, while I'm in the county jail facing a murder charge, she goes on some trip to Acapulco with her boyfriend. And uh, she sends me, she, there's a magazine that's in the, you know, some kind of magazine that they have that's sitting in the, uh, in the little pouch that's on that seat in front of you. Right. And she picks it up and it has an article in there about Image Comics. This brand new company that just came out, comic book company, Image Comics. And it's got big flashy pages of artwork from Rob Liefeld and from all the other guys at Image Comics, right? And it was just absolutely a game changer for me. It just that... I was I had already been reading these guys' comic books whenever they were working at Marvel. Like I talked to you about earlier today, I, was, I, I used to read you know X Men and and, uh, and X Force and New Mutants and all that. And those were all the books. That, those were most of the books that the Image guys were working on. And then they uh, they rebelled. They broke away from Marvel and went and did their own thing. They did what they went through the same thing that that you and I went through. Where at one point or another, they thought that. They thought that comic books were the characters. They thought that the icons of the, you know, of, of Batman and Thor and Spider-Man. They thought that was. They thought that was comic. And then somewhere along the line, they snapped. You know, well, I guess because they're drawing them, or they're the ones creating it. Wait a minute, we're not. These characters are nothing. They're 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 absolutely nothing. They're nothing. It's us that that selling these books. Everyone else at Marvel that works at Marvel isn't selling any book. Only we are. It's not the characters. They don't care about the kids don't really care about the characters as much as they think they do. They care about the quality of the art and stories that these really awesome guys that were making them were producing. After I read that, that article there in the county jail, I decided, man, you know what? I'm going to get some comic books in here and I'm going to start drawing. And from that point forward, it was a very long, arduous uh, road to get from there from a, from an awful amateur to published comic book artistically though you like it shows it kept me, I could, in some kind of way in some ways you, know, you just can't that aspect out of out of my whole you know life in prison type of thing i mean it was it was it was like a lifeline it was a, a beam or something or, or a rope that was handed down to me from god to keep me sane keep me focused on a goal the entire time i was in there working on that was is is, is was the anchor that uh caused me to be able to get out of prison and you know and, and function i mean i mean not only just get out of prison be able to function while i was in prison be able to just to live to continue life in that situation yeah there's a book that i read that actually like after my accident that was recommended to me and they they told me to read it because they're like you know it's like you've been through some trauma and this is probably something you need to take a look at. And it was Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, who has, like, it's based on his experience during the Holocaust. And he had this therapy that he wanted to write about. And what he's writing about is part one part is experience, and the other part is, like, his purpose throughout that whole time there was that he wanted to write about this therapy when he got out. And that was, like, he... That's what kept him going. And he said, he looked at people and he said there was certain people had a purpose. Like he could, you could see it on them that they had a purpose and you talk to them, they would tell you straight up what it was. They wanted to see this loved one when they got out. They wanted, they had a family to take care of. They had a thing that they needed to do when they, they got out. And that's what, that's what kept them going and, and pushed them, pushed them forward. But a lot of people 
couldn't find that. And you, he said he could just watch them die. It didn't matter how smart they were. It didn't matter how, how much they had or could have or, or even how late they got to the trick concentration camps. He had been there for years and people would show up after him and die, you know, right before they they were about to get liberated. He said that was the biggest thing is like for people need a purpose in order to keep going. And like, especially for what you've been through in there, like, uh, I know Dave and I have talked about it a whole lot who Dave, Dave will be on here at some point. Not many people. You guys are in for a real treat when you get to meet Dave. Oh, yes, you are. Every, everyone is in for a great, great treat for that. Not many guys who have done 30 years can still really relate or like still, still be be present in, with other people. I, I don't, I, I, I hate even saying this, but this was a common thing. I would, this is something that I often said, you probably have heard me say it while we were in prison together, but we would look at some other guys that we know that either had done, you know, 25 more or over 30 years that were around us. And I would oftentimes say that there is no one that does 30 years in prison that comes out of it sane. I mean, I, Every last one of these guys had gone nuts being in prison that long. They're eaten up by little, like little things like jealousy and anger and things like that. Just, just consume them, consume them. Or other, you know, other things. You know, there's, there's other aspects of. I mean, what people just don't understand about about prison is that it's it's a very unnatural state of existence for a human being to be in. And that unnatural state being imprinted upon somebody will make them weird as weird as hell. It can give them all sorts of kinks and neuroses and and, 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 and just twitches and, 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 and things that, uh, that it's hard for most people to even kind of wrap their head around. The Shakedown is recorded in luxurious Longmont Public Media Studios. And our theme song, Shakedown, is provided by Envato Elements.